Thanks so much for the kind introduction, Sophia. Uh, it's wonderful to talk with you all today. Uh, as, as Sophia mentioned, I've been research director at New Harvest for about two years now. Uh, New Harvest is a nonprofit research institute that funds food innovation technologies in the cellular agriculture space. I'm going to be getting into a little more of what I mean by cellular agriculture in the future. But first, I'm going to talk about something that I think we all can uh, agree are kind of amazing, uh, unique things that uh, we interact with every day, and those are animal proteins in food. Uh, so whether or not we're just kind of looking at these uh, items or enjoying them in one form or another, I think we can all agree that food proteins are really amazing. Um, milk, eggs, um, fish and meat all have unique biochemical properties that really set them apart uh, and really make them an interesting combination of bioavailable nutrients that we, in many cases, know and love. Uh, and so one of the things that we kind of think about a lot at New Harvest is, is, is what goes into these complex products and, and how we could uh, enjoy them in ways that don't involve animals. Uh, because as amazing as these products are, they do affect the environment. Uh, here's an image of an algal bloom uh, that's taken from an aerial overhead photo at a feedlot. And uh, as you can see, uh, these these uh, animals that we cultivate in mass uh, have some really negative effects on the environment. Uh, so we literally, in some ways, are shaping uh, the uh, surface of our planet in adverse ways when we do factory farming. And beyond that, we also threaten human health. Uh, these products can be really, really unsafe. Uh, this is an image of a recent avian uh, flu contamination in birds. Frequently, these uh, infections in recent years have jumped from birds to animal for, to humans and other species. And uh, so, not only is it is it kind of unpleasant to think about these animals being packed in small areas together and confined. Uh, on top of that, uh, it's it's really dangerous to human health. Um, and so here at New Harvest, we like to think about another way of going about creating food products that are animal-derived, but that do not involve the suffering of animals. So what if we could take, instead of having a whole chicken and uh, having to sacrifice it to get its flesh, if we instead could take a small tissue biopsy from that chicken and derive the same chicken breast? Or what if we could take instead of having a whole cow that we cultivate for its milk proteins, uh, take simply a culture of cells and train it through genetic modifications and other biotechnologies to produce that same milk protein to make the beverage we know and love. Since the advent of this field, cellular agriculture is what we call it, the production of both cellular and acellular products um, to make food uh, that comes from culture rather than from whole animals. There have been a number of kind of small one-offs a bit in this area. There's been a little bit of uh, milk protein produced by Perfect Day. Um, in the recent, most recent uh, times, there's been even more with uh, the production of ice cream from Perfect Day. There's been a few prototypes of eggs without hens from Clara and Mark Post's iconic burger, uh, which is an early example of beef without cattle. Uh, 
there also been a number of companies that have cropped up in this space, both in the protein space and also in the cultured meat space. This is just a smattering of a few of the 20 plus companies on the market. There's no longer room for them on a slide, uh, which just shows how vast and varied uh, the companies in this space are. Uh, many of them around the world with a concentration in San Francisco. So it's very exciting to see the whole ecosystem to begin to develop. And here at New Harvest, what we think a lot about is not only how can we uh, use these products to make um, a better food product, but how can we make this cellular agriculture field an actual field? How can we help it develop faster and stronger? How do we turn these few ideas and prototypes and a couple of startups, now many startups, into a full-fledged academic discipline in a business sector? So here at New Harvest, we really think about uh, how we could fit together the different disciplines that go into the field of cellular agriculture to create something wholly new and different that involves the synergies of these different fields. Uh, these are a few of the main fields that are in cellular agriculture, chemical engineering, bioengineering, and cell biology. Uh, there's also a number of others, mechanical engineering, uh, stem cell technologies, biochemistry that all really fit together to create the unique network that forms cellular agriculture. So here at New Harvest, we think of this as really being a bit of a kind of a a job where we need to involve many different parties. So not only uh, to affect change do we need to involve principal investigators or professors who run their own labs, but we also need to get researchers on board, so graduate students and postdocs, the people who are doing the science in the lab. So if our goal is to go from Mark Post's single burger or two burgers, too many, <laughs> which is our goal in this field. Uh, we hope to not create a single burger, but uh, an ongoing supply of many burgers at reasonable price. Uh, there's a lot we need to do, and that's because uh, while a lot of the bioengineering to make this process happen has been mostly pioneered at a lab scale, uh, most of those early demos really are about the size of the head of an eraser. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, food is not only an amazingly complex thing, it's an amazingly inexpensive thing. So uh, not only do we have to accomplish a whole lot of great science, we have to do so in a way that's extremely cost-effective, which leads us to our major research questions of the field, and part of what makes what we do so distinct from the field of tissue engineering or human tissue applications, which is how do we make cost-effective cell growth media? So if we have cells that we're growing and forming into a burger, either an unstructured burger or a structured steak down the road, we need to be able to grow cost-effective food for those cells. Current media formulations are available, but they tend to be really high-cost formulations that are medical-grade in nature. So that's something that really needs to change if this field is to grow in a healthy way. Um, a lot of companies are doing this work in-house. That's wonderful, important work. It's also a bit challenging, though, because each company has its own formulation, so everyone's invent inventing their own wheel. So here at New Harvest, one of the things we're interested in is helping us have common uh, kind of uh, 
prototypes and wheels for people to share, as it were, instead of everyone needing to create their own basic tools. Also, how do we tweak cells to better grow at scale through bottom to, through modern biomedical innovations. So we're really good this day and age at genetic modifications, at non-genetic modifications, and at different biotechnologies. So what, what tweaks are necessary and what, what tweaks can kind of be standardized and put out there into the world as useful things that can help people grow cells at scale? And then also, how can we make a bioreactor for 3D muscle growth? This is something that really has never been done at scale for cellular agriculture, and it's a new innovation. And it's something that poses a number of challenges, uh, both from a chemical engineering perspective of kinetics and also uh, from a mechanical engineering perspective, not to mention uh, the basic biology and bioengineering components that go into this project. So to that end, our areas of research include bioreactor design, tissue engineering, bioengineering, and developmental and stem cell biology. And while these are all really important areas that we uh, need to focus on, none of them as such really map on to cellular agriculture. Most of these have been uh, developed with biomedical applications in mind or, or purely um, basic re research applications in mind. So to apply them to case studies with food requires a bit of effort. Which brings us to our next challenge, which is funding. How do we get money to do this work? So you may be familiar with the standard uh, valley of death metaphor for the development of modern pharmaceuticals. Um, if you're not, here's a little bit of a rundown. Basically, uh, the way most drugs, at least in the U.S., get funded today, uh, there's public funding that occurs through NIH and NSF, mostly NIH, the uh, National Institute of Health. Uh, professors at universities can apply for competitive grants, win those grants, and then develop novel innovations. When one of those innovations looks promising enough that it can lead to a drug development, then that can often get picked up by a company. But in between doing that initial proof of concept work to develop uh, enough rationale for a company to pick up a drug, many companies die. And that's what's called this funding gap or valley of death. And this is a really hard problem that people struggle with in getting uh, products from R&D phase or from university phase to actual drugs you can find on the shelves. In cellular agriculture, though, the funding gap is much more extreme. <laughs> and this, this is where all of us come in as, as people who have an affinity towards effective giving, etc., because there really is no upstream funding source short of organizations such as New Harvest. So this public funding stream uh, does not, in, at least in the U.S., come from the government. In certain countries, there are exceptions to this. Some countries are starting to pick this up with public funding. Japan recently gave some money towards cellular agriculture. The Netherlands has funded, in the, funded it in the past. Um, but most countries have not, and the U.S. is certainly not. Uh, and so this is where we come in. So we really address this public funding, pre-competitive stage research, uh, which can hopefully help to uh, aid innovation in the entire sector. 
Uh, to that end, we do aim to fund this work that leads to these major technical innovations. And when I say major technical innovations, and I'm going to get into this a little further later, I, I don't mean incremental progress that will necessarily be what, say, a VC is looking for. Uh, I mean something that's really going to change the field and help us develop into a more robust uh, sector as a whole. We also aim to train the talent pipeline for the entire sector. So on top of just getting technical innovations that the entire field can use, we hope to, and we are in fact training the scientific talent that can enter this space. We see ourselves really as an academic hub. So we connect a number of different universities, couple in the UK, got to give a big shout out to University of Bath, where we work with Dr. Marianne Ellis and Scott Allen. At University of Newcastle as well, where we work with Dr. Che Conan and Dr. Ricardo Gueva, uh, and then a number of other universities in the US, UK, Canada, and now in New Zealand. There isn't a hub for New Zealand yet because it's new enough, but we're very happy it's, it's part of the list. Uh, so at New Harvest, I really think of myself as kind of the science officer. I'm essentially like the DAX on staff, but effectively I'm much more like a VC or a portfolio manager. And that's really because of the nature of our, the work we do. At New Harvest, unlike a company, uh, we support the entire sector of cellular agriculture from a basic research standpoint. So instead of pursuing one or two research avenues as you would need if you were at, say, a company and you had finite resources and extremely short timelines, we can instead pursue a broad portfolio of projects. So things that focus on genetic modifications, cell media modifications, bioreactor design, hardware, fat development, different scaffold materials that can grow cells. And really, as I see it, uh, this kind of forms the two wheels of a bike to kind of propel us into the future. Uh, and the reason I think that's so cool is because it's, it's kind of interesting to note that most companies, uh, in fact, just about all companies on that first wheel of the, the bike have direct ties to New Harvest through a training pipeline. New Harvest spun out Perfect Day and Clara back in 2014. Meetable was started by a New Harvest intern um, and, and another. Uh, Memphis is where uh, one of our early fellows, Marie Gibbons, currently works. Uh, Finless Foods was also started by a New Harvest intern. And New Age Meats is where um, our treasurer currently works. So it's a small kind of web where we all fit back together. And then, of course, you, you can't go anywhere without the basic research pipeline. So we're very proud of that. So whereas companies are focusing on cell egg, what I'd call 1.0 or 2.0, which is what's necessary for a short-term type VC-type funding uh, deadline pipeline, we're focused on 3.0. So why is that a salient difference? Uh, I, I'd argue that's for a lot of reasons. Uh, when you're focusing on 3.0, which is further term in the future, something more like the 5 or 10-year time horizon, you can think about things like nutraceuticals, how to make foods that are healthier than they've ever been before, food in space. Uh, you're not going to take a cow up to you if you're headed for the deep space gateway. That's really important. Um, also structured products, so things like steak or sashimi, which some companies are starting to work at, but that's a little bit further on their time horizon as well. Things like new bioreactors or better cell growth media for everyone. And that's as opposed to the, the obvious and very wonderful benefits that we do get at companies, including things like unstructured products, meat analogs, simpler design and hybrids. 
uh, which are also wonderful. Uh, so what does that mean for outcomes? Uh, from a production standpoint, we're hoping that we get a talent pipeline out of this, PhDs, CTOs, publications. Um, a goal of research, I'd say, always is moonshots. We don't expect everything to be a moonshot, but when you're engaged in um, pre-competitive early-stage research, it's always on the table. You can always find out something new and innovative that you did not expect to find out. Also, incremental progress, uh, which is a given, again, I would argue, with basic research. Uh, and that's, that's in addition to the benefits, of course, you get a company, this, these product development enthusiasm in the space, recruiting talent, and investments, which are all notable and wonderful things that work together to create a healthy field together. And focusing on 3.0 allows us to take things like new science innovations like CAR-T, which is a therapy that is used currently to treat cancer in which cells are removed from a patient's body and reprogrammed to fight cancer, uh, and think about how that could apply to cell egg. So that's, that's something that's a little bit out there, and it might not be something that you might be able to think about, say, on a six-month-year time horizon. But if you're thinking five years, ten years, you can certainly think about a thing like CAR-T and how that would apply to cellular agriculture. Or CRISPR. Some companies are working on CRISPR. We're also very interested in genetic modifications for cellular agriculture. Again, with a longer time horizon, that allows us to further capitalize on these new technologies. Uh, also cool new products, things that others aren't thinking of or can't think of uh, because of time horizons or what's maybe popular at the moment. So things like open source bioreactors or mushroom meat hybrids. Uh, it's all kind of on the table when you've got a longer time horizon. So our aim is really to be catalytic to what I'd call reduce the Gibbs-free energy of activation for cellular agriculture. How can we prime this system to be as effective as possible? And to do this, we really try to create an environment that's conducive to the development of a new field. Uh, and that often takes forms that one would not expect. Uh, that often involves things like making sure everyone's in the same place once every six months at our gatherings called lab meets and building a distributed community over Slack. Uh, sometimes the things that bring us all together are actually not very expensive at all. So that's one of the things we really try to promote pretty strongly at New Harvest is the importance of community and the importance of sharing resources and protocols to help develop science all together. Uh, this is just a little scramble of some of the words we get in our uh, proposal calls every year. It's always exciting to see what people bring in. So everyone's trying to make things. Serum-free culture is a big, big key goal for us right now. Um, incorporating plants is really important for us. All of this is really what comes together to build a field. Also, another part of what we do that I think is key is that we really do try to communicate what we do with our donor base. Our donors are wonderful people who are actively engaged in, in many cases, overseeing and interacting with the research in a variety of ways. So most of them are regular readers of our newsletters, where that you can actually kind of get a, a lab's eye view of what's going on in the research. You can kind of look over a scientist's shoulder in essence and see a little bit what's going on with their microscopy that day, as you can see in some of these images here, uh, such as that great red, red image of muscle cells, for instance, or a hollow fiber bioreactor. You can look at the cross section of a hollow fiber up there and and our nice little donut on top. And, and really, through sharing these stories and through sharing the technology of what we do, 
we hope to really bring everyone in and make this be an even bigger community than what we, we kind of started with initially. So we partner with a number of different organizations to make this possible. Some of the two or three most recent are Avena, which is our one of our uh, new funders, and new universities like UCLA and University of Auckland. We're really proud to have all of these folks in our community, and they really support the work we do and make it a stronger research operation. So in conclusion, I'd like to argue that funding research in cellular agriculture requires innovation, that a productive research foundation must be created and doesn't necessarily just come into being without a fair amount of effort and thought, and also that communicating research can bring us all a little bit closer together in what we do. So our next steps at New Harvest are to expand out our efforts in open hardware and ocean science, bring in new skills from fields like cancer biology and the physics of food, expand out new programs such as our seed grant program for undergrads and our dissertation award for people finishing up their PhDs. Um, so I'd love to acknowledge our fellows, our PIs, our staff, and our donors, in addition to our mentors, and EA Global for having me here today. This has been a wonderful opportunity to share a little bit of what we do at New Harvest and talk about uh, some of the reasons we do what we do. So if you're interested in any of these types of interactions in cellular agriculture, whether it's funding, working in cellular agriculture, or doing research, um, come find me. I'd love to chat with you, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about what this work could mean for you, too. Uh, we, we're all a stronger organization when we work together. So thank you so much. Um, so Martin says, I'm a computer science student specializing in theoretical CS, but also take great interest in cellular agriculture. Do you think there are technical tools that would benefit cellular agriculture researchers? For example, better programming libraries, simulation tools, or even computing hardware? That's a great question. Yeah. So in terms of cellular agriculture uh, and how it kind of could interplay really nicely with computer science, I think the most uh, clear connection that I see right now is things like protein simulations for mm -hmm. uh, software that can help us understand how protein folds or how to optimize a protein design. So oftentimes what we're really good at doing in the lab these days is we're really good at sticking a chunk of DNA from one organism into another species. So one thing we can do really well is uh, get that process down. The trick, though, is figuring out which chunks of DNA to put in to get exactly the protein we want that's as strong or stable as we want. And that's a problem that is really well suited to a lot of CS. So people that are good at that problem tend to have backgrounds in CS physics um, or something in that area. So if you're interested in learning more about that, I'd check out the work of Dr. David Baker at University of Washington, Seattle. And I'm happy to chat more about how those kind of applications could look. Uh, there are also some people doing some interesting stuff uh, more in the kind of industry sector involving, I think, some AI work, but I don't know so many details about that. I definitely would suggest um, looking at protein folding and structure first. Awesome. Yeah. That was really helpful. Thanks. Um, so as Richard mentioned in the previous talk, there's a lot of uncertainty around like the consumer acceptance and the regulation of cellular agriculture projects, but one of the things that we've consistently heard is that like the science is there. Um, and my boyfriend is a PhD student working on cellular agriculture at Tufts University. And what I've noticed is that he and his colleagues tend to be less optimistic about the science than what we hear in these presentations. And so I wanted to get your take 
um, and just kind of find out, like, what do you think are the biggest scientific hurdles? And, you know, from your a little bit more removed perspective, how close do you think we are to, like, overcoming those? And, you know, like, what, what's the time frame? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, this is one of my favorite questions in the space. So first, a big shout out to Tufts University and Dr. David Kaplan's lab. Uh, I'm a huge uh, supportive of their work. New Harvest funds a lot of research there, and we're really just proud of what they are accomplishing. Um, I think on a technical note, what I'd say is the science is there if you want to create something very small and very expensive. And so I think the challenge a little bit with cellular agriculture is, um, in my opinion, it's not enough for the science to be there. The science needs to be there, and the technology needs to be there to reduce those costs. So um, I don't think we're there just yet because of that reason. I think certainly the science is there to create um, a multi-thousand dollar tissue implant that is a one-time thing that a person maybe needs um, or maybe um, a piece of meat the size of a pencil eraser that costs lots of money. Uh, but to get those costs down is going to, I think, take on the order of uh, closer to five years for something that's more fully cellular agriculture that lacks structure, uh, that doesn't mean there isn't a lot of room for optimism. So one thing I'm really excited about is things like blended products that are partially plant-based, partially animal-based. I think those are something that it's reasonable to think, to think we could get in the time scale more like possibly 18 months or two years, maybe. Definitely, I'd say it's likely we'll have blended products in under five years. And uh, more structured products, that's harder. So that's going to take a little longer. Um, so I think the science is sort of there. Um, but obviously, it's not there until we can buy these products on the shelf. So, uh, And even then, uh, research in food science is something that goes on all the time. So I'd kind of um, argue that it's it's worth worth pursuing this work, even if uh, even by the time that we are there, whenever that time is. Sure. Great. Thank you. So as I mentioned before, Kate is going to have office hours. Those are from 1230 to 1 in the Queen Vault. So you can find her there if you have further questions. Thanks so much, Kate. Great. Thank you. Mm -hmm.